Good afternoon. My name is Matt Cohen, and I'm an attorney here at Carlton Fields in the Miami office. Uh, I am a corporate and securities lawyer and co-chair of the firm's blockchain and digital currency practice, and excited to talk with you all today uh, with a very special guest about one of the most interesting uh, current events in blockchain, which is NFTs. Uh, so our guest on this inaugural episode of our podcast is Hike Kocharian. Born in Armenia and later moving to the, to the United States to pursue his art aspirations in New York City, Hike is an established fine art photographer, having exhibited works in solo and group exhibitions throughout New York and the United States, with his work sought by corporate and private collections. Hike is also an award-winning scriptwriter and director with numerous feature-length and short films, including Please Be Normal, which stars Oscar-nominated actor Sam Watterson and screamed in film festivals across the world, uh, winning several notable festival honors. In addition to his success as a fine artist in several different mediums, Hike has also pursued his art exhibition and sale in the form of NFTs, that's non-fungible tokens, uh, for those of, who are uninitiated, and his perspective as an artist and entering this sort of thriving uh, digital domain is the topic of our discussion today. So welcome, Hike. Uh, I hope we've properly summarized uh, your many credentials and honors as an artist, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on, on this new uh, medium of expression, if you will, as will uh, all of our listeners. Um, and, uh, and I hope you will be able to you know, share a little bit of your insight on, on how this whole uh, blockchain space has sort of affected artists uh, and the industry of art and, uh, and sort of modernized things, I think, uh, in a way that's been very beneficial to folks like yourself. So welcome. Uh, you know, feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and thanks for being here and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, Matt, uh, thank you so much for the introduction. It's a real pleasure and honor to be on your podcast to speak about this uh, truly exciting new sphere in a uh, in art, um, as I was telling your colleague before our interview, it is not often that um, that we go through a, a change in our lifetime, this kind of a major shift in the way we do business and the way we show art uh, to the world. In a few words, as you said, I came to United States from um, from uh, Armenia. Uh, I came here for one reason and one reason only is to pursue art. Um, and um, uh, I attended Brooklyn College, where I studied photography and film. And about five or six years ago, I began to read these very exciting um, articles about the ability to um, secure ownership of digital assets online. And not only you could do that, but you could also follow the process of how that asset is moving from one person to another. And uh, there was an early company that was called the Scribe. And a group of artists got together and they began to experiment with this new medium. Like, how is it possible to do so? Because prior to this, there was no physical way to prove ownership without involvement of the third party. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you either needed a gallery or you needed... um, a social media, essentially. And here there's a one word comes to mind that I, I'd like to um, speak about. I call it democratization of art. If you look at Facebook, the only reason Facebook became such a worldwide phenomenon is because it gave voice to millions of people that otherwise did not have a voice. 
suddenly they were able to express their opinions. They were able to share their stories. They were able to show their work to the world. And prior to NFTs, they were gatekeepers. They were galleries that would pick and choose artists that, that they would represent. And there was a media that, that would specifically speak about specific artists and promote their work. But there are millions and millions and millions of people around the world who create art, who are creative. And suddenly today, we have this revolutionary idea that any person really, regardless of their background, regardless of country of their origin, regardless of their social status, can create art, A, can prove their ownership online of that work, B, and ultimately can make money off of it. And to me, when these ideas were just starting to come about, and as, as I was reading it, it became abundantly clear that this is truly a digital revolution and creative artistic revolution that we are going through. And I think what we see now today in this sphere is proof that indeed that's what is happening. Yeah, so that's that's very interesting. So you you said a lot of things there that I would love to unpack because there was there there's just so much interesting content there. But let's start with your last sentence. You used the word revolution, right? And, and it fascinates me because that's a word that always comes up in the blockchain context, uh, rightly and wrongly. And it just it seems to me right that the internet gave us a culture of abundance because uh, with the internet it became very easy to copy and paste things, right? So from a creative's perspective. Um, you know, and this started way back when with pirated movies and, and pirated films and all sorts of uh, ways you can sort of take property that's not yours and make it available to a lot of people. That's what the internet really gave us was digital abundance. And uh, it wasn't until the advent of Bitcoin and the blockchain that we had sort of mainstream digital scarcity. And that's, in my mind, one of the chief uh, innovations of blockchain technology. And so it, it always seemed to me to be a matter of time before creatives started to benefit from this sort of thing, right? Um, and so, you know, I think let's briefly let's let's bring it back to basics, right? Let's talk NFTs. They mean non fungible tokens. Non fungible meaning uh, they're not easily intermixed with other uh, tokens of their type, right? These are unique digital assets. Um, you know, that's what an NFT means to me. Tell me, what does an NFT mean to you? How do you, as an artist, think about this? What is the core value of this? Uh, of this asset, of this technology that, that draw, drew you to it? And how is it that you sort of wrap your head around what this, this thing is? Yeah, purely from technological point of view, your description is absolutely correct. Essentially, all, all that it is, if you look at Bitcoin, they are all equal to each other. Every coin is identical version of the other one. And then early on, and I think it's very important to stress that NFT is exclusively, at least from my understanding, is a birth of, of, of fusion between art and technology. The reason we have NFTs is because once the blockchain technology came about, artists, and the only reason I brought this company Ascribe is because that was sort of very early company. That was the idea when artists came about and said, wait a minute, what if we take each token and assign a very specific unique code to these tokens and then find a way to attach that token to a visual image and package that and, and register that on blockchain. So that's essentially, as you described correctly, that's where NFT is. But to me, 
NFT is, is much more than just truly sort of mesmerizing techn technological advancement. It's three things. One, as I mentioned, is democratization of art. If you look, for example, at the history of photography, there have been uh, instances in history of photography that through technology, the medium of art has got wider and reached larger audience. A good example is invention of Browning, Kodak, Snapchat. When Kodak came up with Snapchat, all early photographers, which essentially were chemists as much as they were photographers, they all came about and said, that's it, it's over. Now everybody can take a, you know. This is the, the Polaroid you're talking about, right? Not, not, uh, no, not this Snapchat. Is, this is way before Polaroid. This is, oh, really? this is no Kodak. Kidding. This is where the, for the first time, any person can take this little thing and Snapchat, click it, send it to Kodak. They would develop it and send oh, it to Oh, sna Snapchat. Sorry. Okay. I, I, my mistake. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Go, go on. I, uh, I interrupted you. Yeah. So, so they, you're right. Uh, I took a photography class back in high school and there's, you know, that's of chemicals, right? Uh, in the early days. So you were developing your own, uh, your own film. And so you're saying that, that the technology soon encroached uh, on that field and eventually made it, a, a, I guess, probably democratized access to photography in some way, right? Correct. And then the second technological wave was digital photography. I was, you know, I, I bear witness of that transaction. A lot of photographers were purists and said, no, now everybody, you know, you can just take a picture and see it right away and post it online. Where's the magic? But what happened is, you know, we can see life events happening in, you know, in, in real time and see these images appear. So another good example of democratization. And now suddenly, as I described earlier, you know, we are facing a new wave is that for the first time ever, me as an artist, and this is to come back to your question earlier, what, what has attracted me? You know, there's nothing wrong with social media. I think it's a very useful tool to communicate with people and, you know, send your message to the larger audiences or larger groups of people. But, you know, for artists, you know, when you put up work, when, whether it's on a wall or whether it's online, you kind of have a, you have a say as to how that work is presented. A, who is that work is presented by? B, and what happens to that work? C. So let's take, for example, uh, example of uh, Instagram. Correct. I think it's a very useful site. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using Instagram. There are people who have millions of viewers and, and followers, but those are very few. Majority of people put their hard earned art work on Instagram. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, Facebook profits from it. You know, there are millions of people who put their work for free and create buzz and create energy and Facebook, Facebook profits from it. Um, or if you disagree with philosophy of the company, you had nowhere else to go. You know, um, a lot of streaming services, music streaming services, for example, you know, they pay pennies to, to artists. Or if you disagree with the character of CEO and so on and so forth. So I always struggled with putting up work online because I didn't like where it's going. I didn't like the fact that I had absolutely no control. A friend of mine ran a YouTube uh, channel for years, like 10 years, and then there was some kind of a dispute recently and they shut the whole thing, like just boom, it's gone, the entire thing. So you have absolutely no control over your work. And ultimately, you know, art is work. Art is the time of your life and you wanna get paid for it. And this is another important thing, not just you, not just you wanna get paid for it, you wanna get royalties and let's just, Take a pause and think about this. In NFT, if you sell work, 
And if that work sells 150 times throughout, at least as of today, that's what we think, throughout many, many years, if you put that you want to get 10% from that sale, you get 10% from that sale. And the final point is the idea of legacy. I was having this conversation re recently and somebody said, well, you know, how about my family pictures? And yeah, your family pictures is a legacy of your family. For example, one of my projects I'm doing is a poetry. You know, it has no commercial value to me, but it has a very important value of legacy. These are my thoughts. And they're currently all being placed on a, on a private contract. And I no longer need a third party. I don't no longer need an organization. I no longer need a fund. I don't need any of those things. I'm creating my legacy then and there. So this to me personally, when I was reading it, this was truly fascinating. And yes, it is revolutionary because ultimately what is revolution? Revolution is taking the status quo, shattering it and giving it power to the people. And that's exactly what's happening. Right. Yeah. So a bunch of things I want to, I want to talk about there. So let's, Let's rewind, right? Because this, this technological journey, I think, is fascinating, particularly as it pertains to the art world. Because I imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but there was a time in the art world when you were taking pictures and you were developing these pictures physically that the, you would, I guess, have to put these photos in a gallery, right? Is, is that how it works? And, and, and you know, when you were developing pictures with chemicals, so to speak, how, how hard or easy was it to copy those things? Was it the kind of thing where... Uh, you could do a limited run of 500 or is it really truly one uh, original picture because the mixture of the chemicals was a little bit different and this is a truly unique exposure? You know, what was what was sort of the, the commercialization of a, a photographer who, who takes a masterpiece photo and, and wants to sell it? How did that process work before, before you know, even digital photography? Great question because, I, you know, I'm, I can kind of guess what it's leading to. So you would take a photo, that photo would have a physical presence and that photo would be signed and numbered. And this is where it gets really interesting. The only way that photo would have the scarcity that you described early on is through third party, through a gallery. That was okay. the only way. So if you go and you purchase my photo and one day you have a question as to where the photo comes, the only way for you to get authenticity of that work is to go to that third party, to go to that gallery and say, look, this third party is standing as a witness with a stamp that this photo is authenticated. So that was the only way to create something, create scarcity and authenticate it. Interesting. So, uh, so I want to I talk a little bit about the financial economic arrangement in that, in that scenario. But let's, but let's quickly just take this from a pure technological scarcity thought. And, and you're developing pictures, you're numbering them, and you're signing them. Now we move into the digital domain. We're taking digital photos. There's no uh, development process. You're just plugging in your USB and you're, you're uploading them. If you desire, obviously you have the, you could certainly print that out and sell it in a gallery, right? You always have that option. But if you desire to sell that online and purely digitally, what, what did that process look like? Were, were there, for uh, mainstream photographers like yourself, are there, uh, were there platforms for that sort of thing, portals for that sort of thing, or... Uh, where people would pay for it, or uh, would one person pay for it and, and screenshot it, and you know everyone else would download it and print it themselves, right? How, how did that uh, did that work once we went from purely physical into into somewhat more digital? It's a great question. So prior to NFTs, there was really no meaningful way to create something that would sustain a, a true kind of a commercial legacy. In other words, 
your friend could have gone on website and purchased your JPEG. And then 200 other people who liked your JPEG could have copied it. And then if there is one day, you know, an artist becomes famous and your friend comes and says, look, you know, I, I bought this JPEG. Another 200 people will go and say, well, I, I did it too. They're all identical. Whose JPEG is this? Who got it when? You know, there is absolutely no way to create a truly professional, verifiable, identifiable, authentic work that has value, which is scarcity. So prior to this, a short answer, and perhaps the only answer, that there was absolutely no way to do that. Very interesting. And and I, I imagine that the if to the extent you were interested, uh, even in the digital realm, right, prior to NFTs, but post uh, physical picture development, you would still put these things in some sort of physical medium and bring them to a, an auction house or a gallery. And so you were still relying on that intermediary, that centralized third party. And and so what what is the fee that these galleries or these uh, auction houses would exact from the artist? What uh, I imagine they're not doing this for free, though. In some uh, auction context, it's the buyer that pays. Uh, is is it like that in in uh, in the photography in the art world, or uh, was the centralization of this authentication process uh, to the artist's detriment in the sense that you had to pay your pound of flesh in order to participate in these venues? The answer is without any doubt the latter you had to pay your you pay your pound of flash because a few lucky ones who had the sort of the leverage and the fame to dictate their terms and i'm not speaking about myself or anybody in particular just as a concept um, perhaps had a favorable deals on the sales for majority of the time you know you pay very large percentage up to 50 percent if not more um, wow yeah absolutely and you did it. You did it gladly because that was the only way, really, to to you know further your career and to try to you know make a living out of it. Um, so, in that sense, the options were not only just limited; it was just one option essentially. You either do it or you don't. Yeah, the the monopoly in its purest form. You had you had no other alternative to go to. And what's interesting. What's interesting in that scenario is the market is so fragmented, right? So, you know, you're let's assume for a second you're born in Armenia and, and you don't make it uh, over to New York, right? And you're still taking your same photographs and uh, some collector who hasn't been to an Armenian gallery doesn't see it, right? And it never uh, sees the light of day, all these wonderful creations that are out there. Uh, and so the, the market is very fragmented in that sense. And uh, the other, I guess, side of the democratization coin is not that it necessarily brings more artists into the fold, but it brings more potential consumers of uh, of art into the fold, right? And so I imagine that the advent of NFTs has uh, been a, a boon to you in terms of exposure, in addition to uh, to sort of the um, the control uh, over the scarcity of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Market wasn't fragmented. Fragmented is very mildly put. There was only market was one sided. Market market was one way street. Only, hmm. you know, only kind of a developed world had access to that kind of exposure. And, you know, if, if you would stay in a country like Armenia, which is dear to my heart, but, you, you know, you probably wouldn't be have the same opportunities that you would have here in New York. So without any question, the NFT broadened that ability for artists throughout the world. And we see that's happening now. We see, you know, there's a lot of criticism about like, oh, well, is it art? And... 
you know, I don't, it is art, you know, I mean, maybe you don't understand, maybe a lot of it is not as, you know, earth shattering as it should be or, or amazing as it should be. But, you know, you go in and you see somebody like people from all over the planet, they are expressing themselves and they have full control of their work. And what's truly amazing, and, you know, I hope we can speak about this, is that in order for any transaction to take place, right, if you want to purchase something from me, I have to, you have to give me the money, I have to give you the goods, and there has to be something that proves that that transaction took place in case we have a dispute, correct? And right. now, and this is to me, again, to come back to that revolutionary idea, and now we have, for the first time, we have ability to execute that contract with 100% accuracy, without any doubt, verifiable, without any party involved, without any third party involved. We don't need a bank. We don't need a gallery. We don't need anything. We, we invented something called smart contract. And to me, like one of the most important and super interesting part of the NFTs is that integration of the smart contract. Because when I put something up and somebody buys it, this transaction happens strictly between myself and a buyer. And any dispute that might arise from that, that transaction can be easily solved because we have the record. We have a digital receipt, essentially. So, so, yeah, to, the, so that, to me, is just, you know, more I think about it, it's, it's truly mind-boggling. Millions of people do transaction, and every single one of them essentially goes through, to put it crudely, you know? Right. Well, and, and I think the, the impact of that probably hasn't even been felt yet and may not for, for many years. And I, uh, I, I think about you, you brought up your poetry and how you wanted to leave a legacy, right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, are you familiar with the Salvatore Mundi painting that was auctioned a, a few years ago? There was some question about whether this might have been a, a Da Vinci uh, painting or, uh, or perhaps it – yeah. So, so this is one of the most interesting – aspects about NFTs for me is if NFTs had existed back in the Renaissance, right? And, uh, and this Salvatore Mundi painting was indeed painted by the hand of the master by Leonardo himself, we would have a digital progeny there, right? We could trace who minted it, who bought it every time it's changed hands. And we could bring that blockchain record all the way back to the person who created this, uh, this piece of art. And so particularly when you're talking about older and classic works, which none, no NFTs are yet, but they will be in, in many years' time, uh, we can now solve for, uh, for a very interesting problem in the art world about authentication, right? We're no longer going to be relying on scholars and uh, folks with microscopes matching up uh, paint, flex and, uh, paint flakes to see if, uh, if this was indeed the type of yellow that was used in, uh, you know, in the 1600s or whatever. We can have a pretty easily queryable record. And so I wonder as an artist, what, how does that make you feel in terms of what you're creating and putting out there and, and, and when you think about attribution? It's an absolutely spectacular feeling. And I don't say this with any sense of irony or humor whatsoever. Just the idea is that, you know, you, and this is a great example, you know, some, some old master, you know, if, if, if they had ability to, you know, to create prevalence where we can trace it back to its origin. Uh, it's absolutely mind-boggling because, like, if I write this poetry, and you know, this poetry will outlive me just on its face value as as a creation created by a human being on planet Earth. And then, you know, without being too romantic, but one day you think, you know, somebody is gonna be having a tough time going through the day, and 
this piece of poetry will pop up and they'll read and they'll, they'll be able to trace the beginning of this poetry, the trace to human life. You know, people say, uh, for example, they say, you know, Rothko, what the hell is Rothko? You know, three colors. No, no, no. Those three colors is a human life. You come to that. You achieve to that. You and I and everybody else in this world, we create our life. And our life has a tremendous amount of weight and spirit and, and, and idea to it. And our ability for a first time to create true ownership and to show it to the million and to be able to trace that ownership to its origin is profound for the lack of other word. And, yeah, one more, and, uh, and, and one more point I want sure, I want sure. I want to stress. I don't see conflict between NFTs and let's say gallery owners or authenticators or uh, auctioneers. Uh, I believe it's a win-win situation for everyone. Uh, in theory, we can, you know, weed out fraud or at least make it much more difficult to fake work. Number one. Um, Gallery owners can have much, much, much light, larger outreach to potential buyers. You know, if you had 300 people coming to your solo show and you said, oh my God, 300 people or 500, but now you can have millions of people coming to your show and making legitimate, making legitimate purpose, uh, purchases. Um, so, and final point is, you know, technology is moving forward, whether we like it or not. We can, we can sit here and find, fight with windmills, and that's fine. But, you know, you either embrace it or you, or you use it, and you join the conversation as to how to use this technology for good, because let's not be naive about, you know, for everything that's created is going to have its contraforce. There will be people who try to sabotage it. There will be people and, and are who try to steal it, game it. Um, so this is not a done deal. I mean, we, this is still an experimental art, this experimental field. We're still trying to figure out how to do so many things. Earlier today, I was reading in New York Times an article about the environmental uh, uh, cost of blockchain in general, NFTs. And now everybody's thinking, well, you know, how can we use renewable energy and everything? So this is a dynamic process and we all have a responsibility, a responsible actors in this field. We all have a responsibility to make sure that this technology is used for good uh, by the people for the people. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. And, and I uh, I want to drill down more on your thoughts about how the various parties in the art world, whether it's uh, artists, collectors, gallery owners, auctioneers, how they all fit together in a in a moment. But uh, first I got more sort of a, a ethereal question for you. And this is this is maybe an art question in general, not necessarily limited to NFTs, but one of the criticisms that are out there is that the type of art that really kicked off the NFT craze uh, was essentially like computer-generated images of funny things with slight modifications from one another. For, like, for example, the Bored Ape Yacht Club, right? Bored Apes all are, are all sort of pictures of monkeys that uh, have some different aspect to them. And they obviously have other uses and functionality over time. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're... Uh, you know, they, they had been criticized by folks as being sort of like lowbrow art, right? And you bring up Rothko. And this is a fascinating thing to me because I, who am completely uninitiated to the world of art and find that sometimes I don't have the greatest appreciation for what's considered a masterpiece. 
and you can look at a Rothko and say, this is just squares on a canvas in different colors, right? Why, why in that whole, you know, American uh, modern impression, uh, abstractist, uh, I think I'm describing that right, but sort of an unusual era for art. And so as an artist, I'm just curious as to your thoughts to the naysayers out there who say, you know, this is dumb, these are cartoony pictures, uh, and I'm sure that's going to change, and people are putting out very interesting and different things all the time. But, um, you know, what's as an artist's perspective, help help us uh, outsiders understand, you know, the aesthetic value of these things and uh, and and perhaps why all of it has a place, uh, maybe because beauty's in the eye of the beholder or maybe because there's uh, just room, you know, room to grow in this market. But, you know, help, help I guess, everyone under, out there understand why is there such a craze for this stuff when... There's just so many naysayers who uh, who joke about it or or minimize it uh, when I don't think that that is the case because even these uh, these board apes who uh, are constantly criticized trade at outrageous prices and I don't know when the last Rothko was auctioned but I'm sure that thing sold for you know tens of millions of dollars at a, at a, a Sotheby's or something right and so I would would just love your thoughts as an artist as to uh, you know where all this fits in 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 terms of like what we think about as high art or or you know a uh, what's versus what's too lowbrow for uh, for the mainstream, and then how us as the general public are going to consume it? Uh, it's a great question, and uh, I'm going to begin by answering a little in a little strange way. Nothing will change because nothing has ever changed, and by that I mean the following. Um, you know, I, a few days ago I considered buying a coin from Bored Apes because it just came out. Okay, so it's just for, for full disclosure here. Um, in the world of art, from beginning of time, this conversation has been present always, forever. There's always been um, kind of a layer of art that was purely designed to make money. You know, ultimately, what is money? Money is abstract. You know, if you and I see something and we agree that it's worth something, it's worth something. And, uh, you know, it has monetary value. So the board ape example, I think, is a great example of that. You know, 10,000 people came together and through marketing or whatever other means that this company was able to do this. Everybody agreed that these images, which could be duplicated, which any mediocre artist can draw or whatever, what have you, is worth money. So that's one layer of art. Always throughout the history, there were people who looked at art as commodity. And, you know, they look at it and say, hey, yesterday this thing, whatever this is, I've never been in a museum in my life, nor have I planned to, but yesterday this thing was $5 and today it's $20. I'm going to buy it. That's it. And I respect that. We cannot disregard that. Big part of NFT is commerce. Very, right now, as of today, I think it's actually a, a vast minority of people like myself, who get into it for much more kind of altruistic uh, reasons, for, for, for reasons other than just pure commerce. The, what drives NFT today is kind of a very kind of a raw capitalism. You know, there's money to be made in it. And I respect that. We cannot disregard that aspect of, of art world. When um, uh, people were creating, you know, were drawing uh, a cans of soup, Everybody said, what is this, you know, can of soup? Why, why would you pay money for it? But Andy Warhol famously said, you know, if you want to pay for it, it's art. Everything is art. So to answer your question, there's a layer of it that will never change. 
um, people will be naysayers and maybe they're right, but it's not going to change anything. They're going to say this is stupid. They're going to say this is superficial. They're going to say this is bubble and perhaps it is and a lot of it I'm sure it is and people are going to come to their senses. Um, they're going to say this is not art. And that would be that. Nothing else will change. As long as you can make money in that layer, layer it will always exist. Then we graduate from that. Yeah, then, then we graduate to the next level. And the next level is people like myself who are, you know, lifelong career in art, who dedicated their life to art. Um, they have something to say, whether people agree with that or not. You know, they have spoken word to say. They have music to write, they have photography to show. Now there's conversation about starting to do films. And it's only question of time until that new layer begins to gain strain. And because there is also a lot of people who appreciate art and want to own art. They want to own their favorite artist. So that is coming. That is already here. It's just being drawn into this kind of a gold rush madness, which is exactly what it is. It's gold rush. I have no doubt that 80% of these things are going to disappear in the next few years because it is a bubble ultimately, but they coexist. They must coexist. It will never change. It will always be like this. There's high art, there's low art. There's people who, you know, I was watching a documentary about Bansky, about this graphic artist who does, you know, he did something in Queens and these guys who own a body shop came and stole that entire wall. Do you think they go <laughs> to the museum? They don't, but they understood that it's worth something. So that always exists. The concept of commerce always exists. When a very serious, spiritual, life-changing art is also developing on this and it, will, it has its audience and will find its audience. That's great. I thank you for that perspective. Uh, so, Hike, in the... Next couple of minutes we have left here, I want to, I want to cover three things. I want to uh, try to understand your perspective on the, while we're talking commerce, right? Uh, a little bit more detail on how the various players in the art industry uh, interact with NFTs and how you feel that uh, I thought your insight as to whether uh, blockchain, which is a disintermediating technology, is not going to cut these folks out entirely, right? Because like you said, galleries may have more reach, etc. I want to uh, talk about that in a bit more detail. Um, I would like to understand, hear from you, uh, the process you went through to create your first uh, set of NFTs, what type of artwork it was, uh, you know, how you did it, where you sold it. And then hopefully we can finish up with learning what's next, you know, what's the next frontier for you, uh, in NFTs in particular, and then, uh, for art in NFTs in general. Um, and so before we get there, let's keep it, uh, uh, keep it on the commerce angle for just another couple of minutes. Um, tell me sort of your thoughts on how NFTs are going to change the financial aspect of the art world with a particular emphasis on in the past, I assume once you're one of your pictures sold in a gallery, if it was resold, you never saw another dime from it. And one of the interesting things that NFTs do through the uh, advent of smart contracts is enable royalty schemes to be hard coded into the artwork itself. And so if there are secondary market sales of your art, you may be entitled to a commission from that. And, and how interesting would that be if your artwork followed the same pattern as many other uh, impressive works do and, and inflate in value uh, incredibly over the years, right? Uh, so share, share with us some of your thoughts on, on, on the economics of the art world and what NFTs may or may not do to it. Um, the first thought that comes to my mind is everyone, uh, 
it, this is my personal opinion that I'm sharing, artists, galleries, people who are in this business, uh, better pay attention. Because if you don't, if you don't understand how this technology works, if you are skeptical about it, if you think um, it's some kind of a scam or there's a lot of these kind of absurd conversations that, in my opinion, that boat has sailed. But if you in that camp or if you think that, you know, it's not going to touch me, you know, I have my my clientele and so forth. Be aware because this thing is coming after everyone and it's coming fast. So if you don't adapt to this technology, you're going to end up like we've had this conversation earlier in this podcast, you're going to end up like Kodak. Because what Kodak did not do, not Kodak himself, not the, the founder, but the company, they missed the digital revolution. And by the time they came to it, it was gone already. So if you're a gallerist, you have an absolute obligation towards your my personal opinion. And I'm not a gallerist, so I can only speak for myself. But I believe that you have a, an obligation to reinvent yourself and to see where exactly NFT fits in your business model. And mind you, this is, this is not a straightforward proposition. There's no, there's no one way of doing this. Galleries come in many shapes and colors. There are different people working on different levels. There are people who sell multi-million dollar art. There are people who sell you know, new artists that nobody knows about. Uh, so it's, it's a very complex and dynamic environment. But I think every single one of them, and artists included, they have to start experimenting and to see where do they fit in this. Are they doing all NFTs? Uh, I should also mention that NFTs are not only um, exclusive to digital uh, creations. You can create NFTs for physical creations. You can create NFT certificates. There's a company called uh, Veris Art, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that creates uh, certificates. Uh, so... I'm thinking about, you know, I'm represented by Robin Rice Gallery in West Village. Uh, we've, for many, many years, we are wonderful colleagues. We had two solo shows together. And, I, you know, I haven't had this conversation with her. So here's the answer to you in a much more kind of a down-to-earth way. You know, there's an artist and there's galleries with a lot of mutual respect, a lot of history. We've done a lot of things together. And um, I haven't had this conversation yet. And I'm kind of both excited and not sure where to begin because you know, what do we do? I mean, do we digitize the work that we already have and people bought it as paper and sell it both? Or we, you know, so to answer your question, this is uncharted territory. No one can sit here with a straight face and say, well, this is the right direction. Everybody should move left or everybody should move right. This thing came so fast that nobody really, you know, I was into it for years, so I, I kind of felt organically developed with it. But for a lot of people, it came out of nowhere. And today there is this scramble to understand what to do with it. I think that a holistic approach is the correct one, which is every single gallery and every single artist that work together have to sit down and look at their priorities. And they have to see their market share and they have to see the type of clientele that they have and they have to see how to integrate this technology into their dealings. Because if they don't, if they ignore it, you're going to be out of business, both as an artist and as a, as a seller. Yeah, very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, I can echo the sentiment as a, as a lawyer, right, who advises 
with on advises people utilizing this technology the sheer sheer variety of requests and questions and guidance that we have to give is it's all over the board because we're all still iterating here right we're all trying to figure out what this thing is, what it does, and what's the best way to interact with it. So very interesting uh, to hear your perspective. That and it's just, to, just to your point, man, is, you know, NFTs are not only um, reduced to art. I mean, we're talking about marriage certificates. We're talking about deeds. We're talking sure. about the college graduation degrees. We're talking about so many things that also bleeds into the legal world and, and government and so forth. So, yeah, lots of lots of interesting time ahead. So. Yeah. So, so tell me, uh, Hike, your uh, your journey with NFTs so far. What has been the NFTs that you've uh, you've put together? Are these uh, uh, photographic works? Are these uh, uh, paintings? You know, digital uh, art, written word, like your poetry. You know, what platforms have you utilized to get them out there? And then, you know, what do you think is next for you personally, and then for NFTs in general? So, as of today, I have three distinct projects on the NFT sphere. One is uh, five black and white um, photographs. These are images shot on film, on negative. I still shoot film for black and white. They are scanned in high resolution um, and they are available on uh, something called Maker's Place. These are, you know, it's important to understand that they don't own my work. They are just uh, interface platforms that are connected with a blockchain in the background. So any purchases that take place, the funds come directly to my digital wallet. So in other words, I am the full owner of these works. Um, then there's another interesting project about 15 years ago when I was in my much more experimental, experimental shapes, the state of my creativity. I begin to experiment with collages, visual collages. And I did a lot of cutouts from magazines. I had this, I was, as all immigrants, I have long history of living in all sorts of strange places and apartments that I could afford or could not. And there was one place that had these tons of old magazines, like the, the, the owner was a hoarder or something. So it's like a lots of stuff. And so I started like making cutouts from these magazines. And, you know, so I created about 15 of them. And for many, many years, I didn't know what to do with them because you know, that's not my primary work and Robin does not represent that kind of work. And I didn't want to just put it on Facebook, come back to earlier conversation because I felt it's a, it's kind of, I don't know, it devalues the work. Like you get 50 likes and life moves on. And then this new platform came called Portion and I applied and uh, I have five pieces there and, and I sold some, some, some of these NFTs there. Um, so that's the second one. And the third one is something just truly dear to my art is this poetry project. So I spent one year writing poetry. I wrote a poem a day for one year. I have 365 poems. It was a very distinct project. It was a decision to just put aside everything in my life. I had enough money to save to be able to do that. Uh, they are short poems, four or five lines each. And they are so much fun to make them in an FT. I mean, it's like candy. You know, I make them, they're easy to read. I post them on my uh, Twitter account and boom, I mean, people react to it and, and so forth. And it's also very original because very few people do poetry. I think I'm actually probably one of very few. I haven't seen any that does poetry. And there's one very interesting thing about this poetry project is that this one for the first time as being kind of a, always in a quest with maximum amount of independence is created on something called my own custom-made contract. Essentially, it is contract that is 
there's a platform called NiftyKit, and they, they only charge you like a, a monthly subscription. And these poems are created on my own custom contract that's created for me only, connected with my digital wallet, is exclusively mine. No one can touch it, no one can do with it, because I want to make sure that it's never commercialized, I want to make sure that it's never you know, used for advertising or anything like that. It's pure art. And NFT gives you that kind of luxury to create something that is, you say, you know what, just for a reading pleasure and nothing else. So those are the three projects that I'm working on. Very interesting. Very cool. Uh, so what, uh, what's, I would say what's next for you? Perhaps, you know, I don't have a good sense of scale in the art world. Perhaps what you've described is what's next and this is what you're, uh, you're dedicated to. But if, if that's the case, you know, uh, let us know. But then tell me, I guess, a little bit about what you think is next for NFTs as a whole. Do you see uh, this trend continuing where just simple works of art? are uh, sold as uh, NFTs that are minted, or is there something more? I, I personally uh, tend to think that, you know, as we're moving into a more virtual existence, uh, the metaverse, as the uh, it's often referred to, and virtual reality, augmented reality, it seems to me that um, art is just the beginning, if you will. Static artworks are just the beginning, and we'll probably see uh, just some very interesting concepts come to light uh you know, utilizing this technology in the future, in the near future. And so I would love your, your thoughts on that. Completely agree with what you said. I think this is the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, in general, the rule of thumb is follow the artist if you want to find the next sphere of development. Uh, I live in New York City, for example, Soho is a great example of that, or Tribeca is a great example of that, or Williamsburg neighborhood is a great example of that. These were neighborhoods that were just sort of left they were abandoned and an artist moved in because it was cheap and then developers came in after that and next thing we know these are a huge you know so follow artists for the next big thing regardless of what it is nfts begun as a form of you know as something that's you know fusion between art and technology but i completely agree with you the uses of it are limitless uh, i think it's going to bleed into legal world i think it's going to bleed into government um, it's going to basically anything that requires authentication is going to touch, it's going to be touched by this. I think we are in a very, very beginning of this process. Um, so at this point, this technology is here to stay. If there was any argument about that, I think that that argument has been solved. The next question is, to me, what's really interesting is less what it would, can do because I think it will happen whether we like it or not. It's more how it should be used and what's the proper way to make sure that it's used for good. Because, you know, I'll give you a, a very simple example. And you ask, what's next? You know, ultimately what's next is you still have to create art. You know, you still have to create something that has value in a philosophical sense. You know, you have to still put your sweat into it. You have to put your expertise into it. So... What's next is to continue living a full creative life and using this tool to enhance your creativity, to secure your creativity, to make a living out of your creativity, to create a legacy out of their creativity. So this to me is not something like, oh my God, everything is going to become metaverse. It's like, no, this is great because I can use this as a better screwdriver, or as a better you know, chainsaw, as a better, as a better tool. This is a tool 
for me personally to better myself and to better present my work and make it more accessible. It's that simple. Well, thank you, Hike, for joining us. I enjoyed that conversation. I think that was fascinating. We covered a lot of topics. Uh, to our listeners, please feel free to check us out at carltonfields.com. We are a full-service law firm uh, with deep capabilities in the blockchain and NFT space and would love to hear from you uh, and learn more about what you're doing, and we would love to see if we can help. Uh, Hike, why don't you tell us where, uh, where our audience can find you and, uh, and feel free to leave us with any parting thoughts. Uh, your listeners can find me on my uh, website where there's a uh, contact information at www.hikekocharian.com. Uh, I would particularly invite your listeners to follow my uh, social media pages because we have a new feature film that will be released later this year. It's a film that I've been working on for the past six years. It is called I Am Like You. The film is uh, shot in a great state of Montana. Um, uh, and it's a story about a boy, a child, and a wolf, uh, a story of friendship. Um, and I think uh, people, I hope people would like the film, and I would like them to be connected with the release date. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for, uh, for, for lending your time to us. I think you're at the forefront of something fantastic, and I think you're a, a thought leader in the space, and, and I'm really excited to see what... Uh, uh, what comes down the pike, you know, in general, but for you in, in particular. And so uh, know that me and my colleagues here will be will be watching. And uh, thank you for what you're doing to sort of bring awareness, I think, to a, a technology uh, by people who may not uh, necessarily interact with it on the daily. And I think that's a wonderful thing uh, if, in light of all the democratizing and, and, uh, and, and sort of disintermediating gatekeeper removing qualities of this stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm really hopeful that, uh, that the trend continues in the right direction. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.